Good morning. Our gospel today is from the 13th chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 10. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she stood straightened after 18 years, and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of our Lord. Invite you to pray with me the uh, Holy Spirit prayer that's before us. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit, we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. This passage from the Gospel of Luke, it's caused me to engage and to question more than I have questioned in a long time. I'm not so sure that this passage before us, I'm not so sure that it preaches as much as it causes us to question and to ask and to reflect. Perhaps this is one of those weeks when we need to go home and take some time to ask and to wonder and reflect and to look back on this passage today. And so as I came into this text, I started asking some questions. And one of the things that I wondered, is my perspective skewed? Is my perspective, is your perspective and my perspective skewed as we come to this text? I come into this text as one who stands upright. Now, you know, my my chiropractor would maybe tell you something different. But for the most part, I am in an upright position. I am a person with privilege, with status, with respect and You and I, we are wealthier than 90% of all the people in the world. You may not think that, but you are. I have relatively good health. I would say most of us here probably have relatively good health. And for the most part, all of us here are people of good standing. Well, I think we all are. As far as I know, none of you have been arrested for anything The thing that I wondered about was, can I or will I take the time to place myself in this woman's shoes? 
Can I even begin to imagine what it must have been like for her to live and to exist the way that she has for the last 18 years? Not only in the physical condition that she's in, but also because of the time and the culture in which she lived. We know from our biblical and cultural history of Jesus' time that women had very little standing in culture. They were second-class citizens in many respects. And they knew their place, they knew their role in society, in culture, and in religion. And then to compound the issue, this woman not only was a woman, but she was a woman with physical challenges that prevented her from being a productive part of a family or a community or a religious community. We also know from our biblical knowledge and our history that synagogues were oftentimes larger buildings, probably much larger than this sanctuary, actually. And the way they built synagogues was they, they, they built them with sort of these levels or these kind of um, uh, areas of, of compartmentalization. And oftentimes there were columns or there were barriers that prevented certain people, such as women and children and those who were disenfranchised, from participating fully in the life of the synagogue worships and teachings. It would be kind of like it would be kind of like taking all the women here today and putting you all out in the narthex and saying, you get to worship from the narthex. How's that make you feel? You want to worship from the narthex and just let the guys be in here? That's what it was like. And yet somehow, Jesus was up front and he was teaching. Somehow he he saw that, that bent-over woman back there in the, in, beyond the columns, beyond the barriers. He saw that bent-over woman. And I think one of the things that we have to remind ourselves of is that it was, it was Jesus that saw her. He is the one who initiates the encounter. And I think that's an important thing. Because I, I, I think as we think about our own life and our own faith, it's Jesus who does the actual inviting to come into be in relationship with him. It's not us who come to faith because of something that we've done, but it's rather what Jesus has already done for us that makes it possible for us to have faith. Jesus is the one who initiates. He's the one who sees her. But what's even more astounding, now I'm not going to do it here, but basically he got up from his place where he was teaching, he stopped right smack dab in the middle of his sermon, and he went to the woman. He walked through the group of men that he was teaching, and he went to the woman. He called out to her, he approached her, he declared her ailment to be free, and then, another thing that was not permitted back then, I mean, even in a synagogue, a man, a, a, a person who was a teacher, actually went to the woman and touched her. He put his hands on her! Completely not acceptable. She was healed. She stood up straight for the first time in 18 years. And then to make things even worse, it happened on a Sabbath day. A day in which, according to tradition, it was unlawful and unacceptable to perform such acts. 
Now, I, I think we need to take a moment here and not be so hard upon this leader of the synagogue because, and I don't think it's our place to make him out to be a bad guy because really all this person really was doing, it made perfect sense to him because all he was really doing was he was simply trying to maintain the tradition and maintain the religious customs of the day. So let's not be too harsh on the guy. But I think this is where we need to ask, ask another question. Lots of questions. I've had lots of questions in this text this week. The question is, does keeping the tradition and the religious customs, is that more important than extending compassion? I wonder if somebody came into our sanctuary right now who was destitute and hungry and homeless and they came walking into our presence, would we just, because of formality and tradition, would we just say, go away, go sit back there and we'll, we'll tend to you later? Is that more important? Is, is, is maintaining tradition and remain, maintaining religious custom, is, is that more important than extending compassion? I like what one of my commentary sources says. And of course, who is it other than Deb Thomas? one of my favorite Bible commentaries. She says, The leader misses the heart of the Sabbath. The leader misses the heart of God's law. The leader misses the heart of the tradition. What the leader misses is that the leader misses compassion. Compassion that trumps legalism, that doesn't cling to orthodoxy, that sees the broken body, that sees the broken soul, that sees the broken spirit, before it sees the broken commandment. I think that's a wonderful insight. Obviously, our understanding of the Sabbath has greatly changed over the centuries. So let's bring it forward into the 20th century, at least momentarily. But now, we're in the 21st century, but I, I, I was born in the 20th century, so I, I'm reflecting back on when I was a bit younger. Maybe you can join me in this down memory lane. You know, I can remember as a kid that uh, everything was closed on Sundays. There were no stores open on Sundays. I don't even think you could buy gas on Sundays. Well, maybe gas stations were open. But other than that, I don't recall any stores being open on Sundays. At least for a while in my growing up years. Now, that, that gradually changed. I know that uh, the Sabbath day was a day and a time where we used to go to church and we used to attend church regularly, faithfully. And I showed you before, I've got the perfect attendance tin, pins to prove that I was in church every Sunday because my mom made sure we went. Can any moms relate in here? It used to be a day that was considered holy. Maybe our catechism is archaic, but I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But Martin Luther tried to tell us what keeping the Sabbath day was. He said that the Sabbath day was a day in which we do not neglect his word and the preaching of it, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. Maybe some of those teachings have just gone out the window these days. I also recall as a young person 
Not only did I attend church every Sunday and went to Sunday school every single Sunday when Sunday school was being offered, but it was also on Sunday that when we would oftentimes be the day that we would go and visit grandma or grandpa or both. Or if we didn't go to see grandma and grandpa, we'd go to the hospital or the nursing home and visit people there. That was just our life. I also recall as a young person that one of the things, other things we used to do on Sundays, now you have to understand I grew up in South Dakota, you know, the great open plains. Every little church, Bergen Lutheran and the Fallen Lutheran and, you know, all those other Lutheran churches out there that kind of had these churches built up on a hill out in the middle of a cornfield, they all had their cemeteries and I recall as a kid that we used to go on Sundays, we would travel to some of those cemeteries out in the country and we would pay our respects to the deceased loved ones who were buried there. And we'd also pack up the lawnmower and some trimming shears and some maybe petunias and some other hardy plants that could grow in the open prairie in the summertime. And we would plant, we would dig up around the gravestone and we would plant flowers and occasionally we would talk about the person that was deceased and tell some stories our understanding of the sabbath has greatly changed over the centuries sometimes i wonder what sabbath means today when probably 90 percent probably 92 percent of all of the city of lake havasu is either at home sleeping watching some televangelist on tv or out on the lake on a boat with jet skis. I don't know. I guess that's what, church, that's what Sabbath is all about in Lake Havasu. Another question. I wonder how we can be the presence of Christ. I wonder how we can be the presence of Christ to those in our midst who could benefit from our compassion. I think that's a good question. And I want to say to you that of all the churches that I've ever been affiliated with Mount Olive is, is probably the church that I have seen compassion extended to more often and more frequently than any other church I've been in you know what that means you know what that means to care and extend compassion to one another you do it all the time but I do think it's worth asking the question continually it needs to be a part of our daily walk of faith. How can we be the presence of Christ to those in our midst who could benefit from our compassion? Our incarnational theology reminds us that God became one of us through the person of Jesus Christ in human form. He became a human being. That's what it means to be incarnational. He came to bring the kingdom of God near to us through his physical earthly presence to teach us what it means as people of faith to be that incarnational presence of Jesus through our life and faith and through our acts of compassion because we are the living, we are, we need to continually remind ourselves, we are the living, breathing body and presence of Christ in the world today. Right here in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Because Christ has promised us that he has made his home in us 
And Christ has promised us that his spirit, his spirit inhabits our life. Jesus touched this woman and she was healed and she was able to stand upright and resume her life. A life that took on a whole new meaning again where she had a renewal with her family, with her community. She had a sense of dignity that was restored and she lived with a sense of wholeness because of what Jesus had done for her. All of us here know people in our lives who can benefit or be renewed in mind, body, and spirit by our extending compassion. This past week, I, along with six other people from Mount Olive, we went over to Belle's house and we spent some time with her. Maybe some of you don't know who Belle is, but that's probably here nor there. Belle and her daughter Karen often worship at the 5 o'clock service. But most of you probably should at least know who Belle is. She's the oldest member of our church. She's 99 years young. We gathered at her house. And of course, Belle, as is her tradition, as is her cultural whatever she does, she greeted each of us with her holy hug and her holy kiss on the cheek, as is her custom. If you've ever had a chance to meet Belle, that's how she will greet you. She will greet you with a holy hug and a holy kiss on your cheek. And we visited and we enjoyed some of the pleasantries in life, like chocolate. We heard God's word and we reflected a little bit on that word that we heard. And then we celebrated Holy Communion as the body of Christ as we gathered in her living room. And I would like to believe, I would like to believe that as Belle sat there in her wheelchair in her 99 mature years with a whole lot less ability and strength than what she once had in life, I'd like to believe that she felt uplifted I'd like to feel as though she stood up or maybe sat up a little straighter in that chair because she was with other people who had extended compassion to her. I'd like to believe that in some small way she experienced healing and restoration, perhaps not so much for her own physical body, but for her soul and for her sense of belonging to be a part of this body of people who walk by faith and who uplift and encourage one another along our journey together. You see, it doesn't have to be a physical healing. It doesn't have to. This, this is more than a story about physical healing. This is a story about just simply extending compassion and being there to uplift somebody in, who's broken in body, mind, soul, and spirit as well. I was out for one of my lengthy walks this week and I met a man in a motorized wheelchair who had a prosthetic leg. He was out with his dog, and of course his dog was so excited to greet me. You can just see that dog coming on the leash, and he wants to come to me, and he's just pulling at me, kind of like, oh, I gotta go talk to this guy, I gotta go see this guy. You know how dogs are. He was really excited to see me. And so I acknowledged the dog, and and then I struck up a conversation and we ended up having a lengthy conversation for about 15 minutes. 
And I heard several things about the journey that this gentleman has been on and how, it, how he had come to find himself in this other abled stage in his life. We were two people on the streets of Lake Havasu City just having a conversation. We talked, believe it or not, in our first encounter, we talked about still having the desire to live life as fully as we are able, even with some of life's limitations that all of us face in one way, shape, or form or another. And I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe that that conversation that we had and that visit that we had on the street was uplifting and compassionate. I'd like to believe that his life, perhaps, I know for me, I felt it. I hope that he felt it. I'd like to believe that his life was more fulfilling and that his life was more restorative and health, healthful because of our meeting and because of our talking to one another on the street. I read another question that I think is worth asking for our consideration this week. And the question is, have you ever experienced a healing that you did not ask for? I think that's a question that all of us here need to spend a little bit of a time thinking about. Have you ever experienced a healing that you have not asked for. I'm not sure how many of you here know this. I think I've told you this before. I was married before. My first marriage lasted five and a half years. And I can tell you, um, my first marriage was rocky and tumultuous. And when the day finally came for me to walk out the door for the very last time, I had finished packing my car in that little small compact trailer that I had uh, hooked to the back of my car. And as I walked through the threshold of the door for the very last time, there was this tremendous weight that just literally came off of me. It was a physical experience. It was a physical experience. And it was so real. It was like all of a sudden my there was this massive amount of weight that just flew off of my shoulders. And for me, that was a healing. That was a healing moment in my life. And I was not expecting it. But I thought about that time and time again. How I literally felt this massive load simply lift off of me and disappear. Have you ever experienced a healing that you did not ask for? This passage has caused me to ask a lot of questions. Questions about restoration, about compassion, about healing, of what it means for us to live as the incarnational presence of Christ in the world through our lives and through the care and through the compassion that we extend to others through our presence with them. And I hope that you spend some time this week Revisiting this gospel passage from the 13th chapter of Luke. Engage with Jesus in this passage. See with the eyes of Jesus. Connect with this woman. Wonder what it must have been like for her to be healed, to stand upright and to be restored with her family and with her community. What it must mean for her to have dignity again and to have a renewed sense of wholeness and a new life. How might we be the presence of Christ to those in our community who could, could benefit from our extending compassion and hospitality to help someone 
feel a renewal of body, soul, and spirit because of our reaching out and touching them with our physical presence. As Martin Luther would say, for us to go out and to be that little Christ, we are the incarnational presence of Christ in the world now through our physical presence as people of faith. This is much more than just a story about physical healing and restoration. It is a reminder to us of our calling as the body of Christ to be a community that is restorative. Restorative in dignity and in community and in ways in which we honor people. In the ways in which we honor people who are broken in body, soul, and spirit. May we be about such compassionate acts just as Jesus has taught us through his life by bringing the kingdom of God near to others. Amen. I invite you to join me now as we pray together the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.